All right. Good evening, everyone. It is so good to see you here. Um, and if I can't see you here, if you're with us on Zoom um, or on YouTube, I should say, uh, warm welcome to you as well. Hey, Pete. Um, now, just before we jump in, I, I just want to do a quick recap of the series so far, right? So first up, week one, we had Tim Newens introduce us to the island of Crete. Now, this was a place of, and I quote, liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons, which, if I'm honest, can sound a bit like the Gold Coast at times, right? Um, and we saw that the Apostle Paul is writing to his protege in the Gospel, Titus, asking him to appoint church leaders who were entirely different from the culture around them, different by their character as of foremost importance, right? And next, Geordie took us through the importance of the true gospel and even the call to rebuke those who teach a false one for dishonest gain, which was, again, setting the Cretan Christians up for an entirely different path from the rest of the culture around them. And then last week, Kalen gave us a huge exhortation from Titus 2, which was for the sake of the reputation of the gospel, for the sake of others receiving the good news, be different from the culture around you in a good way. Be different by the way that you live for the sake of the gospel. And so now hopefully we're seeing the trend here in this letter, this call for Christians to live in a society that was disreputable even by the standards of the time, in, in a secular world, to be different, to stand out, to be set apart, or in other words, to live holy. And so tonight in Titus 3, we finally ask the question, why? Right? Why should we live holy, different, set apart? Why should our church leaders be holy? Why should we rebuke those of us who are unholy? Why should we present the gospel well by our conduct? Why live holy? And so let me just begin tonight by putting it to you. All right, do you try to live a life of holiness? Why or why not? It's a, it's a bit of a two-part question. Do you try to live a life of holiness? Why or why not? All right, let's just take a moment of introspection here. Let's just be really honest with ourselves. Just quietly where you are, I'll let you really think about this for a few moments. Do you try to live a life of holiness? Why or why not? Maybe write it down. See if you can answer this question. It's up on the screen. Let's just take a few moments. All right, I'll draw us back together there now. Friends, here's what I suspect, right? For those of us who are here tonight who aren't Christians, right? I want to talk to you guys a second, all right? For those of you, if you're here tonight and you don't call yourself a Christian, first of all, welcome, right? Welcome. It's so cool that you're here. And when I asked if you try to live holy, the honest answer might be no, right? Might be no. No, I don't really try to live a life of holiness. And why? Because maybe holiness seems like an unattractive way to live, right? It's not worth it. And if that's you, I reckon tonight's passage has the power to persuade you otherwise. Okay, so hold on for a moment. Now, for some still, the answer might be yes, I do try to live a life of holiness. And why? Because that's what makes me right with God. That's how I go to heaven. And again, if that's you, I hope this passage will show you that that is not the case. All right? Now, let me just chat to my Christian brothers and sisters for a while. All right? Christians, for you guys, I suspect the answer might be, yes, I do try to live holy, but the why? All right, so here is where I think a lot of Christians in our culture might have a bit of a missing link, right? So we know the gospel, 
We know that we have been unloving towards God, unloving towards each other, and unloving towards his creation. And we know that a God who is perfect love cannot abide our unlovingness and yet loves us perfectly. And so he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross in our place to perfectly fulfill both his love for us and his wrath against our unlovingness or sin as the Bible calls it. And so if our faith is in Christ, right, we are forgiven and saved entirely by the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, and not by anything that we have done. Right? Amen? Yeah, hear that? We Christians know this. And we also know that we've got to live good and holy and do good things. But, but why? Right? If God has saved us entirely by Jesus' works, and our works have nothing to do with it, doesn't it follow that therefore we don't have to live holy? And if I don't have to live holy, then why should I? Like, God won't punish me if I don't because I'm saved by grace. And he won't reward me if I do. I have full assurance of my reward already in Christ. So why? If we don't have the right answer here, friends, it's so easy to accidentally make up our own. So brothers and sisters, if our theology here isn't complete and firm and sure, then it's so easy to make up our own reasons for living holy. Try these ones. In the book of James, it says, faith without works is dead, right? That's correct. So if I do have faith in Christ, it will be evidenced by my holy living. Also correct. Therefore, the reason I live holy is to make sure that my faith isn't dead. Does that sound like something you've thought? The reason to live holy is to make sure my faith ain't dead. Or how about this one? I've been bought at a price. Correct. Jesus sacrificed everything for me. Also correct. Therefore, I owe it to him to live holy. Does that sound pretty good to you? The reason for my holy living is because Jesus sacrificed everything for me, and so now it's only fair that I repay him by living holy. I owe him. All right, is that you? Better question, is that in the Bible? All right, Christians, just bear with me for a second here. We're, we're going to get to the passage real soon. But if our reasons for living holy are any of the above, then what will happen here, and, and this is my experience, what will happen here is that when I inevitably fail, when in my fallen nature, this side of the cross, I inevitably fail to live holy, I will feel like God is angry at me despite my faith in Christ. Right? When we have the wrong reasons for living holy, then when we stuff up, we'll feel like God is angry at us despite our faith in Christ. And so when I sin, rather than joyfully running into the forgiving arms of my Father and rejoicing in the victory that Jesus has already conquered my sin, instead I feel guilt and shame. Like I can't approach God until I've shaped up or maybe I'm not really saved if I haven't achieved a certain level of holiness. And so rather than running towards God in my sin, instead I pull an Adam and Eve, and in my guilt and shame, I hide. And the more I pull away from God, the harder it is to live a life of holiness, and so I just end up sinning more in a vicious cycle. And Christians in the room, do you relate to this? Right? If you do, then tonight's passage is the remedy. And so it's my goal tonight that each of us would leave here convinced of the real reason for living holy, and so be properly inspired to go do it, right? It's my goal tonight that we'd all be convinced of the real reason for living holy, and so be properly inspired to do it. Why don't we pray? Father, Lord, it is so difficult for so many of us, myself included, to let go of things that have been ingrained into me my whole life through the culture around us. Lord, it's so easy for us to take our dealings with the world and our dealings with our friends and family and expect that you deal with us the same. 
So Holy Spirit, tonight, please pierce our hearts with the gospel. Show us your ways are truly good. And so help us to live different, to live holy. Amen. All right, let's get into this. So what's the reason for living holy? Keep an eye out for it as we dig into the passage. Now, Titus chapter 3. For those of you who have been with us the past few weeks, you'll know all about the people that this is written for by now, right? The Cretans. So just to remind us what kind of culture this was. In chapter 1, Paul quotes their own philosopher, Epimenides, who calls his own people liars and evil brutes. Last week, we heard from Kalin that these are people who considered highway robbery honorable because it was in their culture to be like their god Zeus. And according to Greek mythology, Zeus would lie and kill and steal and cheat to gain whatever was most profitable for him, right? Profit at the expense of others was the modus operandi of Crete. And it's in this context that Paul tells Titus this, all right? Verse 1, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate and always gentle towards everyone. All right, now that's seven different ways that the Cretan Christians were to be completely different from their culture, to be set apart, to be holy. And let's read on. From verse 3, at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Right, so now Paul reminds them of seven ways that they used to live. Right, seven ways of not being holy in contrast to the seven ways of being holy from before. Now we'll get into each of these a bit later, but what we see here is that Paul is contrasting their before and their after story, right? At one time, they were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. Remember, these are people who sought personal gain, who sought profit at all costs through any means, through being malicious, envious, hating one another. That's what they were like. And now Paul is telling Titus to call them instead to a life of holiness. Why? It's at this point, I think, that the natural reaction of people who live in a culture centered around profit might be to think that what Paul refers to in these opening verses are rules to follow, right? Rules which would make God happy with you, rules by which you can get to heaven. But the next verse just absolutely shuts this down, all right? So let's read from verse 4. It says, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. All right, so think back to your reason before. Why do you try to live holy? For those of us whose reason for living holy was to get right with God or to go to heaven, then here, friends, the word of God says, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. All right, he saved us not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. Here we see that Paul is making sure that the Cretan Christians do not misconstrue his words above as rules to follow which get you to heaven. But instead he writes, God saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Friends, if this is news to you, then you've just heard the gospel. That's awesome. All right, I encourage you to check it out further. Um, feel free to ask me or anyone that you've seen up the front here tonight about it. All right, but just before we move on, let's be really clear about this. The reason for holy living is not that it makes us right with God, because we are made right with God by His mercy. 
But the question still stands then, yeah? If this is the case, then why bother living holy? We're actually about to see that right now as we read on. All right, you ready? This is the second half of verse five. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Friends, what a beautiful, wonderful, and powerful load of Christianese. What does this even mean, right? Like, why is this the reason for living holy? All right, so let's just zone in for a while and unpack this, because this is actually pure gold. So I think the key to unlocking this bit is actually that repeated phrase, so that... All right. So see, there's, there's actually three sections here. It's the first thing has happened so that the second thing happens so that the third thing happens. All right. So the first thing, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, who he poured out generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So the Cretan Christians have experienced the washing, renewal, and rebirth that comes from the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. So basically, they are now enabled to live holy. Where once before it was impossible for them, now they are able. See, they've been made new, renewed by the Holy Spirit, freed from slavery to sin, and now have the ability to live, live new lives of worship of God. And friends, it's the same for us. If our faith is in Christ, then we have been washed by the Holy Spirit and are reborn anew. And so our desires are reordered now. And, and previously, when we wouldn't even consider it, now we have the option of choosing holiness. So the Cretan Christians were saved through the washing and rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit so that, next section, Having been justified by his grace, that means having been made right with God by his unmerited favor, they might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Now, this word heir, right, has a lot in it because it's not just, to be an heir isn't just that you inherit stuff. Now, if you're an heir, then you're also part of the king's own family, all right? Paul is reminding the Cretans that they have been, been made part of God's family and brothers and sisters with Christ himself. And they will receive the full blessings of everything that that entails. All right? And we will too if our faith is in Christ. Okay, so what are some of these blessings that, that we get by being made heirs of God? Well, friends, being adopted by God to be co-heirs with Christ means first and foremost that you have been forgiven. Right? It means that whatever sin you might be caught in right now, whatever that is causing you guilt or shame, any sin from your past that you regret, maybe it's someone you hurt or let down, maybe it's an addiction you've been unable to break, maybe it's a repeated sin that makes you think maybe you're not truly repentant if you keep doing it over and over again. Whatever your sin, friends, because of the kindness and love of God, you are set free from the eternal consequences of this, right? Every sin, no matter how great, is completely and utterly paid for at the cross of Christ, and you cannot outsin the cross of Christ. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 8 quotes the prophet Jeremiah who quotes God saying, I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. 
He will remember your sins no more. So friends, if your faith is in Christ's death for you and you repent of your sins and you ask God to forgive you, then he has and he will. And when you then say in your guilt and shame, God, look at my sin. God says, what sin? I remember your sins no more. And all he sees instead is Christ in your place. Perfection. You say, God, what do you see in me? And he says, I see Christ's perfection. And in Romans 8.32, it says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? So if you are an heir of God, if you are a co-heir with Christ, then whatever it is you need but lack right now, whatever's worrying you, whatever's causing you anxiety, because we are heirs with Christ, God is our all-loving Father who wants to give us all things. So you can just ask and see if God doesn't respond in your best possible interest. And even greater than all this, we are heirs to eternal life. We get to live forever in the loving arms of the Almighty who will wipe away every tear. We will experience that which our greatest blessings on earth cannot compare to, our only poor imitations of. And we will experience it forever in a world with no sin, a world with no crying, mourning, or pain. This is what it is to be an heir of God, friends. And so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good, to be different from the rest of the Cretans, set apart, holy. So what's the reason for living holy? Because we are heirs in eternal life, we have experienced the kindness and the love of God, so we know that he is good, and if he is good, then his ways for us to live are also good. This is why. One more time. Why should we live holy? Because as heirs of God... We've experienced how kind and loving he is. And so the way that he wants us to live must also be good. In fact, it is excellent and profitable for everyone. End of verse 8. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Friends, Paul called the Cretans to live entirely differently to their culture, set apart wholly because it is excellent and profitable. Let's just remember for a moment what their culture was like, right? Profit at any cost. Profit by any means. Well, here comes Paul who says, you want to know what's really profitable? Holy living. All right? We live holy because it's what's best for us, for us all. This is where true joy is. This is where we reap the best that life has to offer. This is why we live holy, because it's profitable. All right, does that sit right with you? We live holy because it's the good life, right? Does that sit right with you or are you a bit uneasy about that? We live different, set apart, holy because it's, what does Paul say, profitable, right? The Greek word here is ophelos and it literally means to heap together, right? To gather an abundance. Living holy is profitable. See, it's at this point my heart has an objection and yours maybe does too, right? It goes something like this. So Paul, you're saying the reason for holy living is that it's profitable, it's good, but hang on, doesn't holiness like, kind of like suck a little, right? Like, isn't it, you know, isn't holiness kind of boring? Like, look at all the great pleasures of the world of Crete, right? Unfettered and boundless sexual expression, 
Hoarding wealth and spending it with wild abandon, the escapism of drunkenness, the ecstasy of drugs. I'm supposed to be giving things like these up for the sake of holiness. So how can holiness be more profitable, right? Like, okay, fair, Jesus did die for me, so I'm willing to live a slightly suckier life for his sake. But profitable? Friends, hear this, all right, hear this. In the Bible, any hardship or toil that comes from being in Christ comes from either persecution or from sin or from the fallenness of this world or from the devil, all right? Not from holy living. Let me say that one more time. In the Bible, any hardship or toil that comes from being in Christ comes from either persecution or from sin or from the fallenness of this world or from the devil, not from holy living. The great lie of Satan is and has always been since the Garden of Eden that sin could somehow be more pleasurable than holiness. All right? It's a lie that sin is more profitable than holiness. It doesn't take long to think about how stupid the lie actually is, right? Like that, the creator and the provider of all things good somehow doesn't know what's good. That's so dumb. Like, or the ultimate lover who sacrificed everything to love you and adopt you as an heir somehow wants to hold back on good things. That doesn't make sense. Our passage tonight calls out this lie. Holy living is beneficial for everyone. Those of you at Y Conference last year might remember Gary Miller saying this, all right? If you're living holy, you cannot possibly be missing out, all right? If you're living holy, you cannot possibly be missing out. See, the Cretans believed this same lie. At one time, they too were trying to profit through their sin, through malice and envy, and Paul calls them foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved. But now Titus is to instruct them in the ways of true profit, that is a life of holiness. So friends, let's just check ourselves now, right? Have we been believing the lie that sin is somehow more pleasurable or profitable than holiness? Or are we convinced that God's ways are truly best because we've experienced the real profit of being made heirs of God? Heirs of eternal life, all right? Here's a litmus test. Here's a litmus test to see if you believe that sin is more profitable than holiness. When you think about holiness, when you read those seven ways to be holy at at the start in verse one and two, do you get boring prude vibes? All right, when you think about living holy, do you get boring prude vibes? And when you think about sinful living, do you get like awesome party vibes, right? If that's you, then you might've bought the lie because it's the other way around, right? Friends, compared to all the surpassing joy and fulfillment that is ours in the gospel from being made co-heirs with Christ, sinful living is just so pathetic and dull and boring, and not to mention unprofitable. Another test to see whether you've fallen into the Cretan culture, another sign you might be believing the lie is if you need to ask the question in the first place, what's the point of holiness if it doesn't contribute to salvation? Right? If you believe the lie that sin is somehow more profitable than holiness, then of course you'd ask, what's the point of holiness, if not my salvation? But if we know the goodness of God in salvation, then we know that his ways are good, then of course holiness is profitable. And of course we don't need to ask, why live holy? It's like asking, why eat good food? Or why listen to good music or enjoy a good sunset? It's just good to do, even though those things don't contribute to your salvation, right? 
The great writer C.S. Lewis says this in his sermon titled, The Weight of Glory. I'm going to put it up on the screen. He says, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. Chasing sin because you think it's more pleasurable than holiness is like wanting to play in the mud by the gutter, friends. Because you haven't comprehended the goodness of holy living, of, of a holiday by the beach. Friends, in his loving kindness, God has saved us by his mercy so that we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life, so that those who have trusted God and thus know his goodness might be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good, to living set apart, to living holy. Not because it's owed, but because this is excellent and profitable for everyone. We live holy because we know it is excellent and profitable for everyone, right? So think back to your reason for living holy or not living holy, right? Think back to what you wrote down or thought up at the beginning. Maybe you thought holy living wasn't worth it because it's not a fun way to live, All right? You've bought the lie. Just like the Cretans, you're trying to profit with sin, and so the message for you is you really want to profit Try holy living. Give it a go. Maybe you thought that the reason for living holy was because you owe God. Like there's anything left to owe beyond what Jesus paid. And so the message for you tonight is, holy living is for your profit and you owe nothing for your salvation. Christ has paid your debt in full. So be free from the cycle of guilt and shame. Run into the victory of being made heirs of God's kingdom and live holy not because you have to, not because you're obligated to, not because it's your disinterested duty to live holy, but because you know it's profitable. All right, Live holy because as an heir of eternal life, you know how good holiness is. So what does this look like? What does it look like to live holy? Verse 1, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities. Now, if you think authorities today are hard to be subject to, they have nothing on the Roman emperors of Vespasian or Nero, who were both openly killing Christians at the time of this letter, right? Be subject, Cretans, to Emperor Nero, to rulers and authorities. Be obedient. Why? Because it's good for our standing with God? No. Because it's profitable. And how can we know? Because we've experienced the profit of being heirs with God. Verse 2, slander no one, be peaceable and considerate, and always be gentle towards everyone unless they have what I consider harmful political views. Right? It doesn't say that, does it, right? Okay, slander no one, be peaceable and considerate, and always be gentle towards everyone unless they have harmful theological views. People who twist the gospel and destroy the faith of others and drag Christ's name through the mud, surely I don't have to be peaceable and considerate to them. Nah. Be peaceable and considerate and always be gentle towards everyone, full stop, even as you rebuke them for being harmfully skewing the gospel. As Geordie preached, right, in chapter 1, it's hard, but we should do it. Why? Because we need to prove our faith isn't dead by our works? No. But because it's most profitable for you and for everyone, and you know this because the fullness of all the blessings of God are yours because you're a co-heirs with Christ. Let's skip ahead to verse 9. How to live holy. Well, he just said to stress these things in verse 8 that we've just been stressing, right? Because they're profitable. 
Now he's saying avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable. It's the opposite of living holy, which is profitable, right? In other words, stress the gospel. Don't distract from it by being divisive over foolish controversies, even if they're to do with the law of God. Right? That's what's meant by law here, God's law. Paul takes divisive people really seriously. In verse 11, you may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. So don't be like this. Why? Because you need to pay Jesus back what you owe him for dying for you? No. Because living holy, stressing the gospel instead of divisive controversy, is profitable for everyone. And you know this because you've profited from the full blessings of being made heirs to eternal life. And finally, in verse 12 and onwards, as soon as I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis because I've decided to winter there. Do everything you can to help Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything they need. Why? Because it's your duty as a Christian to sacrifice the good life in order to help others? No. Verse 14, because our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive or unprofitable lives. Go out of your way to help people. Live holy, live different, and set apart. Why? Because we've experienced his loving kindness so we can trust that living holy is profitable. Because when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life, so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good, to living set apart, to living holy. So friends, as we go out into the week now, don't believe the lie that sin is more profitable than holiness and then have to make up some other reason for holy living. No. Go and bask in the goodness of God. Ask and receive all the fullness of blessings that he offers you as an heir with Christ then once your heart is convinced that his ways are truly profitable, go out and live them. Go out and profit and let others profit too. Let's pray. Father, Lord, in your gracious mercy and kindness, you saved us, not because of good things that we had done, but because of your mercy. And so, Father, Lord, I pray that now, as we go out into the week, or even as we fellowship around dinner, Lord, I pray that you would realign our priorities, protect us from the lie that sin is somehow more profitable than holiness. Help us to know through our experience of being made heirs of your kingdom that your ways are most profitable for everyone. Amen.